a snowball in the face is surely the perfect beginning to a lasting friendship. Welcome to AMI Audiobook Review, the weekly podcast where we chat all things audiobooks. I'm your host, Ramia Amuthan, and the quote we just heard is that by Marcus Suzak from The Book Thief. And of course, the reason why I picked this was because Toronto had its first snowball. It's had its first snowfall, and that's why we're talking about snowballs, because I mean, I'm sure you've had this conversation yourself already, kind of rolling your eyes at the snow going, oh, no, it's winter already. But that's I don't think that's the snow's fault. I think that as we get older, snow starts feeling rough and winter starts feeling rough and we forget about how fun it was when we were kids and having not even realizing that you're cold. You know, this was the big phenomenon for me. There was a time in my life when I started to realize, ah, I'm feeling cold. And when I was a kid, I never felt like this. I remember going and uh, running out as soon as we saw that there was enough snow to, you know, roll around in or build snow forts or snow, uh, snowball fights, all these kinds of things. And going out for snow angels and boots didn't matter. Hats didn't matter. Mittens didn't matter. And my mom would chase me out the door sometimes even in her flip-flops, to try to get boots on me, hats on me, coats on me and my brother. And then afterwards, we would end up losing all that in the snow anyways. Come home more often than not with uh, one less mitten, definitely no hat. The coat was wide open because we were sweating from the snowball fights and were soaked to the bone inside out. I mean, half the time, I don't even think we had our real winter boots on. Did we even own real winter boots? No, I don't think we needed it. And then we finally start to feel the cold. And that's way, way later. Like we're inside and then we realize, oh, I can't really hold my hot cocoa. My my hands are burning because I'm actually cold. (laughs) So I think that when I read this quote, It made me reminisce, definitely miss the childhood perspective on snows. And don't get me wrong, we can still take part in all kinds of things as grownups, going skiing and skating and and even taking, if you have kids with you, taking kids out and enjoying the snow. But it's it's not the same. Hey, before we get to the next part of AMI Audiobook Review, let's quickly take a glance at the CELA homepage. The featured titles up there are still... The Winners by Frederick Backman, The Case of the Murderous Dr. Cream by Dean Job, and Our Missing Hearts by Celeste Ng. We're going to be checking in with Joita Gupta. She's the host of AMI-audio's The Pulse, also available as a video podcast, talking about graphic novels. How do we make them accessible? Well, there are some projects going on out there that we want to check in on. So let's do that on AMI-audiobook review. Now, every once in a while, we like to check in with an avid audiobook listener. Well, we don't like to proclaim that they are. Sometimes they do, and sometimes they completely deny it. But we open up the space to review, discuss, recommend, browse, conceptualize, and reminisce on audiobooks. And we're welcoming Joida Gupta to the show today. She's the host of The Pulse, available on AMI-audio, on your favorite podcast platform, and on YouTube as a video podcast. That's pretty new. Joida, welcome to AMI-audiobook review. 
Hey, Ramya. Thank you so much for having me. Well, I'm excited to talk to you because I don't think we've absolutely ever talked about audiobooks, at least uh, you and I together. But you've talked about it. I've talked about it. So we brought you onto the show. And quite frankly, like we're going to get into audiobook talk in a second. You'll give us a recommendation for uh, listeners. But before that, I thought this would be an interesting thing for the two of us to get um, chatting about. And it's a blog post. Uh, from the Center for Equitable Library Access, CELA. It's available on celalibrary.ca. And it's entitled A Reader's Perspective Graphics Novel Project. So this was published uh, earlier this week on the 15th of November 2022 by Karen McKay. And I wanted to bring you in on this, Juwitha, because graphic novels, I think, will be... um, an interesting conversation, mm. you know, chatting about it, chatting about the accessibility, the inaccessibility of it. But before we get into the blog post, question directly to you. Have you taken part in any audio or graphic novel experience? Uh, no, I, I mean, I've tried when I was younger to because graphic novels or, or I'm assuming you mean comic books. Pretty were, much. Yeah, were really popular with kids my age. Uh, And I should mention when I say kids my age, I mean sighted peers, um, people that I went to um, school with, right, through elementary school and then through middle school. I think people were less interested by the time I got to high school. But Mm. it was always a very visual medium. It's not to say that I didn't try, but I just didn't get as much out of it as a sighted person. Now, there were many aspects to the graphic novel, which I think lent itself favorably to someone with low vision. That's how I would describe myself in those earlier days. A lot of the graphic novels that I remember reading or the comic books I remember reading had um, black outlines around pictures. Right. Like not just the boxes, but the actual characters were, they were kind of sketched in, they they were drawn in black and they had the colors sketched in. So it kind of helped me to actually see them better. If I used a magnifying glass and I could read the little bubbles with the speech um, and the thoughts, but it was never an experience that I sought out in the way that I think those around me enjoyed, collected, and cherished the graphic novel. Mm -hmm. And I like the genre being referred to as graphic novel because when I was a kid, I don't think people took the graphic novel seriously. And as, a serious, as in the reading part of it? As in the reading part of it or the consumption part of it, I remember being told that people who read graphic novels were kind of dumb. Mm. And as a serious person, I wanted to read novels, even if right. those were abridged novels or large print versions of novels or whatever. But there was a, a perception, um, and I'm very pleased to see that that attitude is changing. But at least when I was a kid, there was a perception that if you were smart, you would keep away from comic books. Of course, that has now changed. I know that they teach courses at universities dedicated to the graphic novel. It is a genre in its own right. And I'm very pleased that we're having discussions about making the graphic novel accessible, not just for the obvious reasons, which is, you know, if you have someone with a disability or a visual impairment or blindness, you want them to be able to have the same access to the same material as anybody else. That's the whole point of having uh, quote-unquote alternative formats. But I'm, I am also very curious about what creating the graphic novel as an audio, in an audio format, I'm very curious about what that would do to the genre itself mm-hmm. and how we actually go about telling stories. 
So I am, I, I think it's a really good idea. It's one of those situations where I feel Ramya, you know, I, I, if I had read the blog post or if you read the blog post, maybe you had the same reaction where it's like, why didn't I think about this myself? I mean, I've just told you that I grew up around graphic novels. Everybody around me was reading them. And I have also confessed a degree of dissatisfaction with not getting as much out of them as I might have perceived everybody else was getting out of them. And yet it's the first time, uh, and I have left graphic novels far behind now uh, because I'm in my mid-30s, uh, not to say that I don't, that's not to say that adults don't or can't enjoy the graphic novel, but I haven't really sought one out in a number of years. But nor have I ever really tackled or tangled with the question of why and how and to what end they could be made accessible. Mm-hmm. And I mean, we're not uh, new to audio be- audiobooks being seen as an adaptation, right? Being experienced as uh, the the second part or the second iteration of something that already exists. However, when we're thinking of making graphic novels accessible, there are some unique circumstances that we're trying to navigate here. And so in this article um, on Sila and with the experience that we're going to be hearing from directly from a tester um, of this graphic novels project that Sila is taking part in, I think that we're going to learn a lot. And these questions that you're asking, which I think are very valid, you know, how do we make it accessible and what elements are uh, interesting or stand out to you or work or don't work? I think that we're going to have some um particular perspectives about that. So for a long time, this is how the article starts, for a long time, graphic novels have been difficult for people with print disabilities to access because the content is shared both in images and in text, as you mentioned, Juida. Beginning in 2020, Sila launched a pilot project to produce more human-narrated graphic audio novels. Our goal is to develop a set of best practices to make future production easier. As part of this process, Sila works with a team of accessibility testers who review the book and provide feedback and guidance to our team. And Sila invited a um, one of these accessibility testers to share her experience working on this project. So as you already shared a little bit of your background with graphic novels. I'll share mine. Um, it seems to me that you've really tried over the years, as, especially as a kid, to kind of use the vision you have or uh, the the strategies you have to go through graphic novels. I did not try at all. And because of that, I felt like I was completely missing out on this section of fun because it felt like a lot of people were having fun reading comic books Mm -hmm. and taking part in these discussions and awaiting the next ones and collecting and I don't know sketching drawing whatever it may be Um, whereas I felt like I really just could not take part in this at all and so it bothered me a lot over the years and then I found it difficult to pick up now so I've seen um not experienced directly, but I've heard about graphic novels becoming accessible in alternate formats. So whether it be, you know, the graphics are just described in words Mm -hmm. uh, or in other projects similar to this one that Sila is running as a pilot project where graphic novels have been adapted to audio dramas, to audio plays, uh, to television and movies and all kinds of things. And I still felt like because I wasn't in it from the beginning and in it since I was a kid, I found it very difficult to take part in as an adult, even though things are becoming more accessible. So I definitely felt like the the train was kind of gone for me on this journey. Yeah. But 
this tester had a lot of interesting things to say. So it brings me back into, well, what does it mean to be an accessibility tester for something like this? So Rihanna McGregor Henser uh, is she wrote a blog post on her experience kind of piloting this as a tester, right? And she, these are some of the things that she had to say about it. She said that graphic novels are a genre of book that integrate dialogue with illustrations to tell a story. And this is a genre that felt uh, that I felt as a fully blind woman that I couldn't take part in. And there are three primary areas that I take into consideration which eat with each graphic novel that I evaluate. Number one is balance. Is there a balance between image description and narration? Are the images well distributed throughout the narration? The number the the second one is objectivity. Are the image descriptions objective and unbiased? Do they paint an accurate picture for the reader of what is happening? Number three, she says, is clarity. Is the book easy to read and understand? Do the image descriptions add or detract from the reading experience? So let's break these down a little bit. Julie, the first uh, word to you, do you have anything from these three that stand out or that you think is meh, maybe not as important? Or the, the, the real big question is, is it taking away from creative license? No, it's not at all taking away from creative license. Any form of um, of writing, illustration, graphic design, and then even the act of interpreting those things so that it can be conveyed in a different format, i.e. audio, is in and off of itself an act of creativity. Uh, because that's not a simple matter of narrating what you see in front of you. I'm, mm-hmm. sp- I'm sure that's a simple interpretation of what audio description of any form is. But there's a lot of judgment that goes into uh, into any form of audio description, as you know, the what language to use, what words to use, what to put in and what to leave out. I can't really see myself fundamentally disagreeing with any of this. The balance mm. piece is really big. You don't want to drown the story in description. Uh, you'd also want to try and provide an objective balance. I think that makes a lot of sense. And clarity, again, I, these are things that I think across the board apply to all kinds of descriptions. And maybe it's just me being really shallow. But I thought the first and most important thing for me in a graphic novel was getting a really good sense of the background and, you know, who's in what kind of outfit and, you know, ah. the kind of hairstyles, uh, not I've always been fascinated by the things that I think a lot of other blind people find not as important uh, because the, the, the golden rule for description is does the description help to tell the story or advance the plot? And right. whether someone's in a purple top or a green top doesn't really make a difference to the plot. So it often gets left out of any form of description. But then I'm one of those I'm probably in the minority because I, I like clothes and I like fashion and I, I like to know what other people are wearing. And often I've had to resort to my husband to say, honey, what are people wearing? Clothes. They're wearing clothes. You know, he doesn't want to get into it either. Um, but I love those details that don't necessarily lend to the plot uh, and therefore tend to get left out of descriptions of graphic novels or even just description in general for the simple reason that they're not advancing the telling of the story. But then I think to myself, you know, if I were a sighted person, I'd know. Whether exactly. the person was in green or you blue take or for granted. purple, you take it for for granted. Mm-hmm. And why shouldn't we know this, these things? But of course, I have my own biases, as you know. Um, 
my husband doesn't even look at what he's grabbing from the closet every morning he gets dressed. <laughs> he's just like, you know, he's like, he'll wear a shirt and leave the house and maybe run a comb through his hair. And that's the end of that. So I, I, I do, um, I'm happy to take a bit of criticism on that. Uh, but in general, I can't really see myself disagreeing with any of the three things that she's pointed out. And I have to say, it's really well thought out. Uh, often I don't go as I don't really go into in depth uh, thinking about what makes good description, mm. uh, and I and I feel like what she's offered us, all of us, whether we're describers or uh, the people who the description is intended for, I think she's offered us a really good roadmap for what makes good description good description, irrespective of the genre to which it's being applied. Yeah, and of course. You know, I've done some consultation myself on audio description uh, and image description, and it's a variety of things that I've taken part in. So it can be anything from art and culture to, uh, you know, all text on your your social media posts, right? So this question of objectivity, which Rihanna says is a tricky one um, to to assess accurately, because a, if you're like you said, an int the person who this description is intended to, there's nothing to really compare it to, right? Mm -hmm. Unless you have some visions. But for me, objectivity is a tricky one because is it really possible to be completely objective? You know, how many people are uh, assessing this factor of objectivity and then saying, yes, we all agree unanimously that this is objective description? And the other part is, I think as description and accessibility, um, people start looking more into the creative side around that. I wonder if that creativity means we don't really always go the objective route. And I'm sure we've all experienced some degree of this when we watch TV with audio description, right? Mm -hmm. And you can tell the difference between audio description on this show versus this show. Uh, you know, somewhere around this line is being described more poetically, whereas this other one is much more literal of a facial expression or something like that. So I'm curious about that question of objectivity, um, if you wanted to circle back around to it. Yeah, I mean, objectivity, I, I think that's more aspirational than anything. Uh, I think anyone sure. who's even a halfway responsible describer will probably confess that it isn't always possible to be objective all the time. And we all have our biases uh, even in our, whether it's in our rendering of description, uh, I would hazard a guess because I, I've been um, asked to join a Facebook group, an audio description Facebook group, and they have very in-depth and intelligent discussions about the kinds of words to use to describe certain things. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, should we describe whether someone is fat? Should we describe, uh, you know, someone's race or ethnicity? And the, when you have discussions about this and fraught debates about whether those details should be included in the description. Every time you're making a judgment, you're either uh, you're not you're erring on once to do some. You're you're making a decision which automatically excludes making another decision. If you know sure, what I mean. Yeah. What's so or against you know, uh, yeah, yeah. I mean, it's uh, like objectivity in science, right? You 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 try to have an experiment with controls and and uh, you know double blind experiments and do all those other measures if, you know to try and make sure your studies are ob objective but maybe down the road when someone replicates your study or new information comes out then people tut tut and they say oh no but it, it wasn't really objective i mean at one point people thought uh freud and and psychotherapy um you know sigmund freud's ideas were objective 
And then, of course, you know, years later, people came along and said, hang on a second, we're not just motivated by our ego and our superego. What are you mm-hmm. talking about? Or people said evolution was the way that, you know, uh, people, um, the, it, they, they talked about evolution as the origins of the, of the human species. And then, of course, we have Darwinism and survival of the fittest. So ideas come and go. And with ideas coming and going, I think what objectivity is changes over time. I don't think that um, I mean, there are these positive, positivist notions of, of, of being literal and and conveying, um, conveying certain things exactly as they are. But I think unless, I think unless you one was very irresponsible or unethical, which I don't think a lot of describers are, I think a lot of describers will probably err on the side of saying we try our best to be objective. Yes. Uh, yes. We try and get it right more often than we we it, we are negligent, but we can't gain that guarantee that we'll be objective all of the time. And that's about as good as you can get with description or any mm-hmm. of those other things. Like even with balance, you could have, like I've sometimes sat through descriptions and kind of gotten a bit fed up with how descriptive they're actually being. I said, I don't need that much detail. Mm-hmm. Or other times I'll turn around and say, you're not being descriptive enough. What just happened here? I heard a door slam, but I have no idea who slammed the door. So the, all of these things... Um, it's it's why description is an art form and not so much a science. Exactly. And that's what makes the graphic novel as the subject of our conversation on description so interesting. Because exactly. you're taking an art form and you're adding this whole other layer to it. And and, and and as I said a few minutes before, I'm really curious about what the inclusion of audio description in the graphic novel genre will mean for the graphic novel itself. Because it is a format that has gone through its own trajectory and growth and its own um, has its own sort of paradigms and theories. And I confess that for the most part, those paradigms and theories have exclusively focused on the visual. I think it's really an exciting moment, not just for blind people as the recipients and the potential beneficiaries of audio description, I think it's a really exciting moment for the genre because I think it does have a certain resonance beyond the end user who will benefit from description when we think about how this might help to evolve and grow the genre, bearing in mind that it is a very phenomenal way to tell stories. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, when we talk about inclusion, there are now options right options and choices and and that goes back to you know what you consider great audio description or uh what you prefer as your medium of something like uh i don't know watching batman right like it's, <laughs> it doesn't have to be in a graphic novel anymore and and that's what i think is really incredible and as we keep going with this it's very beautiful to uh, to see how things are progressing and, and also to see individuals and people, organizations like SELA, take it upon themselves to say, and we can do one more with this. Mm-hmm. You know, we can we can spin this this other way. Um, I do want to shout out Rihanna McGregor Hedzer. Uh, she's a blind blogger, accessibility enthusiast and guide dog mom in passion to create the world she longs to live in. And you can read her perspective about life with a disability on her blog, Not Your Blind Writer. Julia, before we let you go, 
We have like a minute. So do you want to send us off with a recommendation and a little bit of context um, on an audiobook? Yes. Yeah, so this is a book by Silvia Moreno-Garcia, who's a Canadian-Mexican author. And please forgive me if you've done the book already, but it's called Mexican Gothic. And the book is an audiobook. It takes a couple hours to read through. And it's set in, it starts out in 1950 Mexico City and follows the journey of a young woman who receives a letter from her, her cousin saying that the cousin, who is married to an Englishman living in the Mexican countryside, is deeply fearful that her husband is trying to murder her. And so she then ends up following the trail of her cousin to this remote mansion set in this remote part of rural Mexico and encounters the family uh, that she's married into. It is a faraway cut-off place. Uh, the family is deeply inhospitable and quite unwelcoming. And through all of that, it's a book set in the horror genre. So there's elements of fantasy, realism, and horror. It's a great read. Um, their end is a bit disappointing. I hate to say it. I'm not going to give away the ending other than to say it's a little disappointing. But the reason I wanted to recommend it is because, you know, you said earlier that audiobooks are often seen as something supplementary. I would argue that although this book is available in a text format or as an ebook, reading it as an audiobook actually adds something. Mm -hmm. to the story. It brings the narration to life. I don't think I would have enjoyed the book or been as invested in the book, um, which is called Mexican Gothic, if it hadn't actually been read out to me as an audiobook. It adds to the atmospheric elements of this book. It really helps to build the suspense and the general creepiness associated with mm. the horror book. Uh, no, I'd highly recommend it. Uh, it's, not jump, it's not a jump scare type of book. Like you're not going to be frightened out of your wits. But if you're, if you're fond of suspenseful, psychological drama types of books and you want to investigate themes of colonialism and patriarchy, this is a great read. You know, the, we know that presentation is not everything, but in audiobook listening, presentation makes the world of a difference. Juida, thank you so much for joining us this week. Really appreciate you coming on and having this incredible discussion with us and the recommendation. And I hope you'll come back soon. Of course. Thanks so much for having me. Juida Gupta, the host of The Pulse on AMI-audio, available as a podcast and a video podcast on YouTube. That wraps up this week's episode of AMI Audiobook Review. And until next week, happy audiobook listening. Hi, I'm Red Sale, inviting you to download the latest episode of My Life in Books, where internationally acclaimed authors discuss their lives, their work, and three books that have resonated with them. That's My Life in Books, available wherever you get your AMI podcasts.